I'm here in church. We're worshiping God together, and we're celebrating. You know, uh, uh, the other thing I was thinking besides having that group in our home is, um, you know, there was a time in church history what they called the Great Reformation and uh, things that needed to change in a dramatic way changed. And for the good of God's kingdom, for the good of people. And uh, I think we are in not a reformation, but I think we're in a reformation where God is kind of redeploying his people. And uh, I hope that part of uh, your being reformed is uh, really two things come to mind. One is a return to the simplicity of our devotion to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. That's a really solid place to, to reform to. You know, Jesus said we get anxious and troubled about many things, but there's only one thing that is really necessary, and that's that purity of devotion to him. And, uh, and then I think the other thing that I'm aware of is God is taking so much of what we associate with times like this and pushing it out into our homes, in our neighborhoods, where uh, we really do carry in our hearts uh, the well-being of our neighbors. And we ask God to show us how we can be light and truth uh, to them. So I hope that you're experiencing uh, those uh, tinkerings of God's spirit uh, in you and in your faith journey. Well, we're so glad that you're all here this morning, uh, especially glad for our guests. Welcome you, hope you feel right at home. I do want to mention on uh, the last Sunday of this month, we're going to do a one-hour uh, Rediscover membership. I would encourage anyone who wants to get kind of refocused on what our mission, our vision is as a congregation and what your role in that is. Come and join us, but if you're new, certainly love to have you come. There'll be child care available if you need it, uh, need to pre-register for that. Just send us a note at office at Arlington FM. And it'll be one hour from 11 to 12, last Sunday of the month, right here. Uh, well, uh, before we jump into our teaching for this morning, uh, you saw the version slide up there. A great resource, absolutely free. Over uh, half a billion people have paved the way and downloaded it on their phones or devices, which really just that fact alone says that more people in this time in history are reading God's word than ever before. And that's a, that's a wonderful reality in light of what uh, Cameron shared with us this morning. It's how God has made himself real to us. And so if you haven't got the version yet, you not only find all kinds of translations of the Bible, great reading plans, video resources, children's resources, and uh, lower right-hand corner, drop-down menu under events, search for Arlington FM, and you'll find a complete set of notes for today's message. Well, uh, also before our teaching, thank you, sir. Uh, you've got to see this, uh, this picture we posted on Facebook this week. Uh, this is right out here at the office entrance to the facility. And uh, I came in at 7 a.m. to uh, do some work with our media folks and uh, Mama Deer was planted right there. She looked at me like, are you gonna make me go away? And uh, uh, moment or two later, her little one came out of the shrub on the right there. But the interesting thing about this picture is that on that pedestal, the Bible is open to uh, Matthew chapter 11, and it says, is anyone weary or tired? Let them come to me and you will find rest. And uh, I thought, you know, that's a, that uh, uh, 
picture has been viewed over a thousand times when I posted it. And, and I just asked, the, put the words on the end, uh, Lord, teach us your ways. You know, teach us to come and, and lie down and experience rest the way you want us to. Well, uh, in this part of Paul's letter to his friends in Rome, if you were here last week, we turned a major corner. Chapters 1 through 11, Paul deals with these eternal, global, uh, inspirational, motivational truths about Jesus Christ, what has happened in humanity's drift away from God and that God intervened and he sent his son and he made a way for us to reconnect with him. And not just forgiven sinners, but sons and daughters of eternal God. And uh, Paul kind of builds his truth to a climax and says, hey, all of creation is groaning and travail for the revelation of the children of God to move into freedom and liberty. So uh, we're paving the way for an awful lot of wonderful restoration to happen uh, in our world, and in fact, in all of creation. Well, in chapter 12, uh, Paul brings it down to earth. He gets very practical and says, okay, if, if all of these wonderful things in tr are true, how should we then live? What difference should it make in our marriages, in our parenting? in our ways we treat each other, in the ways we see our neighbors, and the ways we live within this world. And uh, so we're calling this practical part of Paul's letter to Rome, my good habits. Because the truth of it is, so much of what we do in our lives, we do out of habit. We establish patterns, habitual ways of thinking, habitual ways of reacting to stress, or to anxiety, or to difficult situations. Uh, many of the opinions we hold are purely out of habit. And if we were to critique them and analyze them, we might change them. Many of the choices we make, in fact, the majority of our lives are determined by the habits that we form. And so uh, last week, just a quick uh, review. Uh, habits defined as a usual way of behaving, uh, something that a person does often, it's, uh, and in a regular and a repeated way. And then an acquired. You know, our habits are learned. They're shaped uh, through our experiences in life, through our environment, through the teachers that we listen to, and all of those things. They are acquired modes of behavior that have become nearly or completely involuntary. And you know that if you've ever tried to break a habit that you'd like to be free from that uh, they just become patterned ways of responding. And we looked at this famous quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, sow an act or plant an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, it shapes who you're becoming. You reap a character. <laughs> Some of us are more characters than others. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. So our habits shape who we're becoming and who we're becoming determines where we are going. Uh, but I would add this, our habits also dictate our experience of salvation, that our habits can hem us in or liberate us to experience more of what God has called us into. And so, as the title suggests, this series is about discovering the incredible momentum that accompanies a few good habits, just a few, just a handful of things that we can give ourselves to that open up to us a greater experience 
of what Jesus died to make available to us. And so uh, we're identifying these keystone habits. And a keystone habit automatically leads to multiple positive behaviors and positive effects in our lives. In other words, if we'll just do this one thing, it will open doors to other things happening. Uh, a keystone habit sparks chain reactions that help other good habits take hold. You know, this is an attribute of the kingdom of God. Jesus said to the one who has, more will be given. And what's he saying? That we can establish a sense of kingdom momentum in our experience of God. And then this uh, important truth that'll go through this whole series. To make big changes in your life, you have to think, and you have to start, and you have to celebrate small. That uh, most of us have tried to make big changes and failed. And it's the small, it's being faithful in the little things that leads into greater things. And so we looked at this wonderful uh, truth from the heart of God spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So when you wipe those sleepy eyes and you try to get started in a small habit, God's actually rejoicing in that because the work is beginning and he's faithful. And so uh, last week we started with Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of everything that God has done for you, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Whatever else we think we do that's worship to God, this is it, Paul says, that you would simply offer yourself as a pleasing in a living and a responsive sacrifice to him. And so last week we identified this one keystone habit. Very simple step that we would begin every day with this declaration. It's a great day to worship God. And that may seem like a, a simple thing to declare. And uh, I encourage you after you say it, do something physical to punctuate it. For me, I, 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 you got to anchor a small step in something you do every day. For me, it's getting out of bed. And if I have a day when I don't get out of bed at all, it's still going to be a good day to worship God. But uh, when I get, when my feet hit the floor, out of my mouth comes the words, it's a great day to worship God. And then my hands go up. And uh, I hope that you're trying to establish that keystone habit because it really does open up other doors that are biblical, that are in line with Paul's encouragement in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I had an experience of this yesterday. Uh, got up in the morning, had to move away from the bed because it was Saturday and my wife was sleeping in. And uh, as I left the room, I said, it's a great day to worship God. My hands went up and I uh, a little bit later in the morning, I had a, I had a visit with a, uh, a used car broker to negotiate a, a price on purchasing a used car that's been sitting in my driveway for a year. You got any COVID realities like that? You know, that car should have been gone a long time ago. 
And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, haggling over a price with a used car salesman, it rates right up there with, you know, a timeshare presentation. And uh, so I wasn't looking forward to this at all, but as I drove down there and uh, I recalled what I started the day with, it's a great day to worship God. And uh, as I started visiting with this guy, what they texted me was a different price than what he says. Well, you know, the fine print says the price we offer may be different from this. Maybe higher. I was like, yeah, right. And uh, so it was below. But as soon as he gave me that price, I just knew it's a done deal. And uh, But underneath that response, I was reminded today is a great day to worship God. And uh, as we were signing those papers, I, I really proclaimed a blessing over that man for 2022. I said something like, may you sell a ton of vehicles and make so much money that you personally impact our economy for good. And he looked at me like, what was that? Did we just have a moment there? And the, the truth was we did. And uh, I left knowing that part of that was set in motion because I, I started the day by saying, Lord, today, whatever comes my way is about worshiping you. Well, uh, today we're going to establish one new keystone habit from Romans 12, verse 2. But first, a story. Uh, this is from a book called Think Again by a guy named Adam Grant. One afternoon in Maryland in 1983, Daryl Davis arrived at a lounge to play the piano at a country music gig. It wasn't his first time being the only black man in the room. Before the night was out, it would be his first time having a conversation with a white supremacist. After the show, an older white man in the audience walked up to Daryl and told him that he was astonished to see a black musician play like Jerry Lee Lewis. Daryl replied that he and Lewis were in fact friends and that Lewis himself had acknowledged his style was influenced by black musicians. Although the man was skeptical, he invited Daryl to sit down for a drink. Soon the man was admitting that he'd never had a drink with a black person before. Eventually he explained to Daryl why. He was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, the white supremacist hate group that had been murdering African Americans for over a century. Uh, if you found yourself sitting down with someone who hated you and all the people who shared your skin color, your instinctive options might be fight or flight, and rightfully so. But Daryl had a different reaction. He burst out laughing. When the man pulled out his uh, Triple K membership card to show that he wasn't joking, Daryl returned to a question that he'd had on his mind since he was 10 years old. In the late 1960s, he was marching in a Cub Scout parade when white spectators started throwing cans, rocks, and bottles at him. It was the first time he remembers facing overt racism. And although he could justifiably have gotten angry, he was bewildered. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? Well, at the end of the conversation, the Klansman handed Daryl his phone number, and he asked if he would call him whenever he was playing locally. Daryl followed up, and the next month, the man showed up with a bunch of his friends. <laughs> Whoops. Over time, a friendship grew, and the man ended up leaving the Triple K. That was a turning point in Daryl's life as well. It wasn't long before Daryl was sitting down with Imperial Wizards and Grand Dragons, the clan's highest officers, to ask them his question, how can you hate someone you've never met? 
Since then, Daryl has convinced many white supremacists to leave uh, the Triple K and to abandon their hatred. And then the author uh, ends with this uh, comment. He says, every time we encounter new information, we have a choice. We can attach our opinions to our identities and we can stand our ground in stubbornness. Or we can operate more like lifelong learners defining ourselves as people committed to the ongoing pursuit of truth, even if it means proving our views need to change. Now, I think that's a great story to highlight what the Apostle Paul calls us to, what he calls the renewing of our minds. Here's what he says, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So Paul gives the very clear goal of this encouragement right off the bat, and here it is, to be able to test and approve what God's will is. Another way you could say that is, uh, here's Paul's goal, is he wants these followers of Jesus to be able to get a hold of and understand God's counsel and God's perspective in every situation. That's the goal of this encouragement, is that whatever situation you find yourself, whatever thought you're thinking, whatever feeling you're feeling, whatever reaction you are given to, that you would be able to grasp in this moment what is God's good and perfect and pleasing will in this situation. You know, that it, that's a profound reality if it's something we can actually tap into. Uh, lest we fear God's perspective and counsel and direction in every situation, Paul specifies exactly what he's talking about. It's God's good will. It's God's pleasing will. And it's God's perfect will. You know, that word good uh, listen to some of the, uh, the um, aspects of it. it. It means useful, pleasant, agreeable, joy-producing, happiness-inducing, excellent, distinguished, and honorable. That's just good. But Paul says God's will is also pleasing. It's uh, fully agreeable. There's nothing in it that's tainted. And then it's perfect. It's uh, lacking in nothing incompleteness. You know, the Bible says, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. As I was thinking about the good and pleasing and perfect will of God, uh, I went to a restaurant recently. My son is employed at very high end, upper end, and uh, brought dish after dish that we were pretty amazed at the quality of this food. And at one point, he stopped to say, well, how is it? And I thought, well, it's uh, quite good. It's very pleasing. In fact, it's perfect. And uh, in a way, Paul is saying that's the nature of the counsel of God in every situation. It's, it's really good. It's pleasing. In fact, it's perfect. And how good would it be to be able to access that awareness of what God wants in every situation? Uh, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to a time when this would be true. He says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears, your ears 
will hear a voice behind you saying, this way, this way, walk in this. Not here, but there. Not that, but this. And it would be that clear. God will make a way, and it will be good, and it will be pleasing, and it will be perfect. You know, I think uh, some good questions to ask. Is that something that you would like to get good at? That wherever you find yourself, whomever you're with, whatever thoughts you're feeling or thinking, that you would have that ability to uh, open up to and get a hold of God's will in that situation. Uh, is that something that would make your life better and make you better at life? I think the obvious answer is absolutely it would. You know, we'd quit tripping over ourselves. We'd quit uh, creating uh, obstacles and minefields that sabotage our own best interests. Uh, this, I believe, is what the wisdom literature of the Bible is all about. It's about creating in us hearts that are open and receptive and responsive to the revelation of God's good and perfect and pleasing will. Uh, I read one comment on creating new habits. You may think this goes without saying, but here's the, here's the comment. The more motivated you are to do a behavior, the more likely you are to do a behavior. The more motivated we are, the more likely we will be. And so I would say this, I hope that right now you're feeling stirred, motivated, to want to lean into the good and the perfect and the pleasing will of God in every situation. And here's, uh, here's Paul's teaching now, in making it very practical. If you and I want this to be our experience, that we actually go through life hearing the voice of God saying, uh, this way, this way, that response, this way of thinking, guiding us into his good and perfect and pleasing will. Paul says there's one bad habit you've got to break, and there's one good habit you get to make. Well, here's the bad habit we have to break if we want that to be our experience. Stop being conformed to the patterns of this world. We can't hear and discern the will of God if our thoughts and our values and our reactions are being shaped by the environment we live in. That's square one. We've got to decide right away, God, the normal status quo is not what you're calling me to. And so I have to think, you know, what, what is our environment? How would I describe our current environment? Well, words come to mind like divisive, contentious, unloving, ungracious, partisan, judgmental, critical. And however you would describe the current mix that we live and breathe and worship God in, you know, Paul says the place to start is we have to stop being shaped by the patterns of this world. And then the place to uh, move through that, the good habit that we want to make is to start being transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
And uh, I love that word renew. It means to be completely retooled and made, made absolutely new. And when I read that, I thought back to a time when uh, a friend of mine who's a mechanic says, you know, you need a, a rebuild on your engine. And I thought, well, you want to do it? He said, sure. And so he took my car, and several weeks went by, and um, didn't hear from him, thought I'd better check up on him. He said, yeah, come on over, and I'll show you where we're at. So I went over, and he worked at home out of his garage. And when we went in his garage, my engine was in about 30,000 parts. It, everything was taken down to the smallest ring. But what I noticed, it was absolutely spotless. Everything was spick and span clean and ordered, arranged in how it would be reassembled. And I said, man, you take as long as you want because I knew this was being done right. And that car ran like it never ran before. And that's a picture of what Paul is saying. Look, if you want to live in the reality of knowing grasping, experiencing the good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Stop being conformed to the environment you're a part of and start being transformed at the very thought level in the way that you see life, the way that you see yourself, the way you experience God. Get used to uh, being changed. And so here's keystone habit number two. And uh, it's simple, it's small, but I believe it has the potential uh, to really get us on the right path. So here's the, the keystone habit, that once a day, just once, you would challenge one of your thoughts, question it, interrogate it. One of your thoughts, one of your feelings, or one of your reactions. Maybe you're feeling hostile and upset. Maybe you're feeling worried and anxious. Maybe you're feeling hopeless. Maybe you're just mad. But notice just one during the day. Maybe it's the one you feel more intensely. And question it. Say, where's that coming from? And uh, here's some additional questions you could ask of that. Uh, can we see the next slide here? There we go. Uh, is this a pattern of thinking? feeling or behaving that is more like my environment than it is like Jesus? Does this way of thinking, feeling, or behaving look like the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God, or is there something lacking in it? And then this final uh, question, which we can go back, go to the next slide. What would be a better response? Uh, that next uh, sentence there, please. Next one. Thank you. Imagine a better or an even op opposite response to what you're currently thinking, feeling, or doing. And I believe this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where a God does what only he can do. He'll be saying to you, how about this? How about go left instead of right? How about trying this response? And I'll, I'll uh, end with a personal example of this, I was with someone recently, friend, good friend, who um, at the year end, it became apparent that their entire organization gave raises uh, across the board to just about everyone in their organization except my friend. 
And uh, as they told me, uh, they sought answers. Well, why? You know, why? And the answer they got was, well, you were at a, a point in your salary where we just felt like we weren't going to address that this year. And uh, when I heard that, everything in me just got angry. I just said, well, those people, they don't have a clue. You know, they, they don't know how much you add to that organization and how much you do across departments. And, and uh, I think my reactions were just, but I looked over at my friend and my friend wasn't feeling encouraged. In fact, they were look, looking more and more sad. And I paused and I thought, Lord, is this the right response? And uh, the obvious answer was no. And, and what I heard from that voice saying, this is the way, was this thought. How about you just share your friend's sadness? How about you just say to your friend how much they mean to you? And that may seem like a subtle difference, but it was the difference between death and life in that situation. And part of my blessing in that was getting to be renewed in my own mind. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we want to thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus, Lord, for bringing us out of darkness into your light. And Lord, uh, we want to thank you for the, the process of following you, Jesus. I think of how often the disciples were just corrected because their attitudes and their perspectives were so far away from yours. And Lord, all of that happened without any judgment. It was just your process of growing up people who learned how to honor God and live out his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And so, Lord, we would just invite you to, uh, to tinker with us. And, Lord, uh, help us to establish just one new habit where once a day we would challenge or question a feeling or a, a thought or a reaction we've had. And, Lord, uh, let us establish that pattern that can lead to so much transformation in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.